Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. This week we're focusing on Psalm 148 and exploring what Jesus' invitation to us means for our relationship with the environment. A reading of Psalm 148 from the St. Helena Psalter. Alleluia! Praise God from the heavens, sing praise in the heights. Praise God, all you angels, sing praise all the heavenly host. Praise God, sun and moon, sing praise all you shining stars. Praise God, heaven of heavens, and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of God by whose command they were created. God made them stand fast forever and ever, and gave them a law which shall not pass away. Praise God from the earth, you sea monsters and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and fog, tempestuous wind doing God's will, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild beasts and all cattle, creeping things and winged birds, sovereigns of the earth and all peoples, leaders and all rulers of the world, young men and maidens, old and young together. Let them praise your name, O God, for your name only is exalted. Your splendor is over earth and heaven. You have raised up strength for your people and praise for all your loyal servants, the children of Israel, a people who are near you. Alleluia. Please be seated. I think uh, most everyone here probably knows that I was I was in the Navy and I was on a on a submarine and we were we were stationed in Scotland and and I remember one particular time when we had we had just left Scotland and we were heading out we were going north to the part of the ocean where we were actually going to dive so we're we're on the surface and it was late at night. And we were getting ready to go to our dive point and, and we wouldn't come back up for several months. And so I had this thought that I really wanted to go up and, and get some fresh air. This, this one sort of last breath um, before we were closed up. And so I, I finished my watch in the engine room. I worked in the, in the back of the boat in the engine room. And I finished my watch and it was about midnight. So it was, you know, the middle of the night. And I went up to the control room and I asked permission to go up into the sail. And the sail is that thing on the submarine that sticks up out of the middle. Um, you might have known it as a conning tower, but its actual name is the sail. And so there's a little space at the top of the sail where the lookouts are when we're on the surface. And so I, I went up into the sail and like I said, it was dark. 
and the submarine itself is a, is a very noisy place. There's lots of machines and, and motors and things and it's, it's noisy and loud and it's crowded and full. But I went up into the sail and the first thing that really struck me was how quiet it was. We were hundreds of miles from any land or even other people. There were no ships around us. There was no land around us. There was, there was nothing but ocean. We were surrounded and it was dark and it was so quiet and cold. And I remember looking out, and I can, I can still see it in my mind's eye, the, the water breaking over the bow of the boat as we sliced through the water. And in the darkness, you could see the phosphorescent plankton that were in the water and sort of this sort of glowy, like, like lightning bugs, light flowing over and around down the sides of the submarine. And I looked up into the sky, and there were more stars than I think I had ever imagined in my whole life. None of us ever go to a place dark enough. There's probably not a place dark enough in the United States to see the number of stars that are in the sky. There were so many stars, it was hard to find the space between them. It was this dense blanket of points of light in the sky. And then off of our starboard bow, further north, there was the faintest glow of the northern lights. It was, it was magnificent. It was amazing. It was, it was truly beyond words. And it was among the more memorable 15 or 20 minutes of my life, seeing this and being alone in, not quite alone, but being almost alone in this vast, glorious, amazing creation. And I didn't have language for it at that time, but looking back on it, I can say that it was holy. And it was one of those experiences where you feel yourself connected to everything around you. And you feel yourself connected not only to nature, but to the, the force that is behind the creation, what we call God. And it was, it was divine. It was amazing. And it made you feel, it made me feel anyway, very small, but not small as in insignificant or unimportant, but, but seeing myself in this vastness of creation and, and feeling as though I had a part and a role in this amazing world in which we live. And looking back on my life, when I think back at those times when I have felt closest to the presence of God, where I have felt the peace of God where I understand my place in the cosmos and I feel connected to everything around me and I am awestruck by the wonders of creation. When I think back on those times when that has happened, many of those have happened in nature, right? In, in the midst of God's created world. And I'm willing to bet that if you 
think back on when you have experienced God, many of you would have similar experiences. Now, I don't think there's anybody else in here who's stood at the top of a submarine in the middle of the North Atlantic, but I know many of you have had experiences where you've been surrounded by nature and just overawed by the grandeur of the creation. Almost all of us have had those kinds of experiences. And in this psalm that we have today, Psalm 148, I think the psalmist is trying to express what that feels like in psalmy language, I guess you would say. Because this, this is a magnificent psalm because it calls upon the actual created world to sing praise to God. Not, it's not directed just at people, but at everything, including creeping things and sea monsters. And frankly, any psalm that has sea monsters is a winner in my book. There's only two. Um, and, and the other one they call it Leviathan, but same thing, sea monsters. But anyway, it's talking about the whole of creation, the moon and the stars and the hills and the mountains and the trees and the beasts and the cattle and the fruit trees, all of the magnificence of creation to sing praises to God, to, to revel in the magnificent creation of which we are a part. And in fact, this, this psalm, Psalm 148, is, is, is kind of unique. It's, it's part of this last group of five psalms of the Bible, and they all have one thing in common, and that is the, the first word and the last word of the psalm is Alleluia. That from beginning to end, we bask in the alleluia, the same alleluia that we sing loud at the resurrection and we, when we mark Easter, alleluia, Christ is risen, the Lord is risen indeed, alleluia. That same cry is echoed in these psalms where the alleluia sings out from beginning to end and we, and we revel in the amazing love and creation of our God. It's, it's sublime. But I want to take us back to that moment, that 15 or 20 minutes of, of magnificence that I experienced on the North Atlantic 30 years ago. And I think we need to ask ourselves, why? Why was a 20-something guy from Indiana in the middle of the North Atlantic? And the truth is, is that I was on this, this craft, this vehicle, this submarine, cruising through the oceans, and it had one purpose, destruction. That is the only reason it was built. It was the only reason it was there. It was the only reason that I and so many countless others gave of our time and our lives so that it could be prepared to bring a destruction to the creation. Our little submarine carried over 150 nuclear weapons. 150 warheads, each of which was at least five times more powerful than the bombs dropped on Japan. And there were 50 other submarines just like it, cruising through the oceans. Most of them are gone now. Mine was scrapped years ago. In fact, it's, it's probably in the razor blades I shave with every morning. But his only purpose was 
to carry these weapons secretly under the ocean so that with just two minutes notice the missiles could be flying into space to drop their, their destructive payloads on unsuspecting millions of people. That the reason I experienced this grandeur, this magnificence of God was because of this horrible destructive mission. Nuclear weapons are a scourge on humanity. They truly are. And I, I am glad that for 70-some years we have not launched any of them. And as much as I am proud of the service that I was willing to go offer, I am deeply troubled by the mission in which I partook. But nuclear weapons are a sign of our ability as humans to wreak unimaginable destruction on the creation. They are a, a powerful manifestation that we can all imagine in, a, in an instant, you know, lives and landscape and buildings and cities and, and all of the stuff of human culture can be obliterated to the point where the shadows of the dead are imprinted forever on the walls. That's, that's unimaginable. But we've done a pretty good job of trying to reduce the chance that such a horrible thing could unfold in our lives, but at the same time we find ourselves threatened by another greater existential threat that is not quite so dramatic and yet of an order of magnitude so much greater, and that is, that is climate change that we are, we are facing, right? That, that we can all look around us and see that there's something odd about the climate and the weather. There is definitely some shift and some change, and we can argue about why it happened, but I don't think that we can argue with its reality. And, and I think that though Jesus offers us no policy, Jesus doesn't say, you have this problem, implement this plan, everything will be good. That's not how Jesus works because Jesus offers us an invitation that is good for all time and so the policies of this age may not necessarily work for the next and what happened in the past doesn't necessarily help us in today. But Jesus does very clearly offer to us things that are important, things to pay attention to, issues which we need to be on the right side of. In this psalm today, talking about the glorious resurrection from beginning to end, Alleluia to Alleluia, is a sure and certain sign that God's call on us is to take care of the creation which we have been placed in. We are called, we use this language all the time, we are called to be stewards of the creation. Our mission is to preserve the creation so that our progeny, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, people we can't even imagine generations out can participate in the abundance of creation so that they too someday could stand somewhere and see and feel the magnificence of God in the creation. We are called to be caretakers of the environment so that all of humanity can partake of the abundance of God 
in the created world. Everything we need has been provided for us in the creation, and yet we stand on a precipice. I read the other day that in the next century, something like a million species could go extinct because of climate change. A million. I don't, you know, if we sat here and counted to a million, we'd be here for weeks. And I bet if we all put our noodles together and we wrote down every species we could think of, we couldn't come up with a thousand. And yet a million of them might go extinct. And that's, that's unbelievable. This is a travesty unfolding. And yet I think when I look at it, one of the things I'm really struck by is how helpless I feel in the face of it. And yet I think that when we look back on the tyranny of mutually assured destruction, there is a, a pathway for us to begin to address it. And that begins with our individual choices. Do we choose to be complicit in the systems that bring about this destruction or do we choose to stand against? Do we choose to be silent in the face of what we know is wrong or do we stand up and courage and speak out? And do we demand of our leaders a different way? Or do we let them just go about seeking their own power and importance and not putting our interests first? Because one of the things that is most instructive of Jesus' life is that Jesus doesn't go about to solve world hunger. He doesn't go about to get rid of sickness. He doesn't go about trying to bring all the dead back to life. But Jesus walks through the world and in his individual encounters, he seeks to bring God's presence into their lives. And if that's 5,000 hungry people, he gives them food. And if that's someone who's, who's sick and in need, that's healing and if it's someone whose who's only caretaker and source of sustenance in the world has died, that's, that's actually not resurrection, but resuscitation of Lazarus and, and Jairus' daughter and so many others. That Jesus doesn't solve the world's problems. Jesus looks at the needs of each individual that he encounters and seeks to bring God's presence into their life. And I think that that is the pathway for us, is that we have choices that we can make that can make the world a little bit better or the world a little bit worse. And in fact, it's not even a little bit worse anymore, it's a whole lot worse. And each of us participate in those systems and we have choices that we need to make both as individuals, as collective, and as a nation and a society and a world of humanity. And this is one of those things where we have had the benefits of, 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 of the industrial world that has, as a side effect, caused these problems. And as beneficiaries, I think we have a double responsibility for making sure that our role as stewards continues and that we don't just silently allow the destruction of the world to pass us by. As Christian people, we have this call to be stewards of creation. And in the way that we make that real, manifest in our lives, is to think deeply about the ways that we impact the world around us and to make those changes that we can. And, and we can't probably, each of us, do everything, but all of us can do something. And together we can do 
a lot. We can make a difference. We've already begun to make a difference, but we have to continue and be steadfast in that effort. Because our call as Christian people demands it of us. It is a, a moral obligation that we fulfill this role as caretakers of God's creation. That is our role in the creation. And that we don't have to worry about solving the whole problem. Because Jesus shows us that we begin with ourselves and with those that we interact with one on one. That we bring God's presence into our life, into the lives of those we meet. And hopefully we encourage and embolden those that we encounter as they experience the magnificence of God through us. To appreciate the magnificence of the God in all of creation. So that they too will take up this mantle of stewardship. And that the abundance of creation will continue generation after generation. Amen.